Hey everyone, it's Rob Liefeld and you are listening to Rob Observations, the show of pop culture and comic books and everything in between. And uh, we, we, we t- talk here and dwell on comics from my perspective as a fan uh, since my tender, tender age of seven years old when I pulled off my first comic to all the way through my now 35 years in the comic book business. Thank you for joining me. Today's episode is a great deep dive into a, into an event that uh, I um, am, am intimately uh, acquainted with, and uh, it, 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 we are going to discuss the phenomenon that is Image X Month, and by by association, the Age of Apocalypse. And we are uh, gonna gonna peel back all the layers because it, it has occurred to me that nobody truly knows how this crazy event came together, why it came together. And today you're going to get a lot of those secret secrets spilled and, uh, and, and some background info and just how a very interesting, somewhat controversial, but ultimately successful event came to be in the form of Image X Month. Image X Month, for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, refers to the comic book company of Image Comics, launched in 1992 with Youngblood Number 1, soon followed by Spawn, Dragon, uh, Wildcat, Shadowhawk, Cyberforce, Wetworks, all of it. We were a giant earthquake on the comic book landscape in the early 90s and quite honestly um, shifted so much of how the business worked, how the comic books were printed, the quality of paper, um, the introduction of computer uh, uh, color, which which these artists uh, now 20 plus years later are using computer color in the most lush and magnificent ways and painting, literally painting. Um, we were the beginning of that. We... we created dedicated computer color uh, departments within our our, our uh, studios. There was extreme color, there was wildstorm color. Uh, we just introduced an entire vast array of new comic book characters and ideas and universes. And really what we did is we proved that there was life outside of the Marvel and DC Comics shared superhero universe. And especially in those early days, those early two and a half, three years of Image Comics, um, Image Comics uh, was as bright and as resonant and as influential and in- impactful as it had ever been. I am not sitting here tooting my own horn. I am quite quite honestly, I'm grateful that, that what we did mattered as much as it did. And to this day, when I go to the shows, when I meet with um, all of the wonderful uh, folks who wait in line and want to get their books signed, they express to me how much those books meant to them. They are now lawyers and doctors. They are sports agents. They are um, movie producers. They are, you know, postmen. They, they they are construction guys, but they have families. They have their kids. They 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 talk about wanting to hand their passion down to their kids, and and how Image Comics was so a big part of their growing up. And that would that would be myself and Todd McFarlane and Jim Lee and Wills Portacio, as I've said, Mark Silvestri, Jim Valentino, and Eric Larson. We were the um, we were the core of the launch, the founders. And, uh, and, and, and so Image Comics had become the solid number three comic book company. And as we discussed, one for one bright, shining month, we were the number two comic company. So it was great. It was a lot of fun. We moved a lot of books. People really liked what we were doing and how we were doing it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Much to, the, to the, uh, uh, the, the, the notice, the glaring notice of our rivals. Marvel in DC and Image X was uh, kind of a a hail mary, an audible, definitely an audible in the huddle that was Image Comics that um, brought about this uh, this kind of new era of excitement and mystery. What is Image X Month? Well, at the core, when we get down to dissecting it, Image X Month was this uh, giant experiment upon which, in the September, in fall of nineteen ninety four. We were going to <clears throat> share with you that the, your favorite Image Comics, the seven that I mentioned by the by the founders, this or in this case the six six participated, were all switching. One of us was going to draw the other's book, and the other was going to draw our book, and so on and so forth. So that Spawn was not going to be illustrated by Todd McFarlane that month. And uh, it was going to be handled by someone else. But you didn't know. You were supposed to not know. It was supposed to be a surprise when you pulled it off the shelves. You were supposed to go, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. 
And the same with Cyberforce and with uh, Youngblood and Shadowhawk. It was supposed to be a, one of your favorite Image Comics creators is switching books for one month. And they are going to uh, give you a story unlike the one that you have been receiving. And it's going to be exciting and it's going to be new and it's going to be different. And it's going to, um, you know, hopefully drive all sorts of interest. And so... Uh, we thought that was a great, it was, it was very much a shock. It was, it was a shock move, but we thought as long as we deliver on the product, then, then we, it won't be shock. The announcement shock, but if the quality is there and, and we were known for pushing each other, we were a competitive bunch, but I'm going to tell you why image X came to being, why it actually happened in the first place. And, I, and as far as I'm aware, this has never been shared before, but it could have been in an interview that I forgot. Uh, so, so I'm giving you that qualifier, but I, I'm pretty sure if you're listening today and you followed, you're not going to know the nitty gritty and all the details because I haven't shared them um, in depth before because it's, it's, it, it's a little bit of a, it, it peels the layer back enough so that you see how we can be very uh, competitive. I guess it's, it, it's all born in competition. And this particular one was born on a party after San Diego Comic-Con in 1994, you guys, Golden Apple was the hot shop. It was the big LA store. It had a global, it had a, it had a national presence for sure. Um, and certainly people had heard of it around the world because it was the home to the biggest store signings. The, the, the signings that myself and Todd McFarlane did when we launched Image Comics are the biggest ones that Golden Apple ever hosted. Eight-hour signings, helicopters in the sky, newscopters, what's going on there on Melrose. Golden Apple was the cleanest, most polished, um, most like a showroom of any comic book store I'd ever been in. Bill Leibowitz was a showman, and he um, knew that he had a Hollywood clientele. Michael Jackson would um, uh, shop at, at, uh, at Golden Apple. One, one, one uh, winter, I was picking my comic books off the rack. And there was Frank Darabont. Now he had written uh, uh, the, the the Shawshank Redemption, and that was Frank Darabont's big claim to fame as this giant accomplished screenwriter. Because that adaptation of Stephen King's uh, bestseller had become this just giant buzz um, buzz movie with all sorts of accolades, and uh, was 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 just getting all sorts of awards notice. And um, he introduced himself to me, and I'm like, "Wow, I, this this amazing screenwriter uh, is is uh, and 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 soon to be, you know, multiple uh, hat wearing director is uh, is is hanging out, you know, telling me his love of comics." And he was kind of a meek guy. He was all dressed in black, had a had a raincoat on, black shirt, black jeans, black shoes, but was pulling those comics off the racks at Golden Apple. Um, J Bill would shut down the store so that Michael Jackson could shop in the off hours. And, and Bill has great stories. Bill and his family have great stories of when Michael would pull up, grab everything he needs, and get, and, and get out of there. At my own signing for Youngblood, Eze of NWA um, was, was in attendance, and, and he got his comics there. And he was super excited to be hanging out. And, and, and as I was excited to meet him in all his rap glory, he was excited to interact with one of his favorite comic book creators and so on and so forth. Gene Simmons. I mean, if uh, most of the, uh, a lot of the writers and directors of the eighties and the nineties were um, grabbing their comics from Golden Apple and, and Bill was the most storied of the, of, of the comic book stores on a national scale that I had experienced. There may have been bigger retailers like Chuck Rosansky and his Mile High Comics, which had prominent ads in all the comic books since I was a kid because he had his you know infamous Mile High collection and, and the most expensive and rare comic books. But, but Bill had the right real estate, put that, put that comic store right there on Melrose. It was uh, just an amazing... Uh, uh, attraction that attracted so many customers, uh, tourists. And so one of the things that Bill did was for a, a span of years there, he would throw an after San Diego Comic-Con party. If you were, as so many were, in town after the show, after the San Diego Comic-Con in the late 80s, early 90s, Bill would um, throw a party, sometimes at the store, but every other year he was renting space 
on the Santa Monica Pier, the glorious historical. You've seen it with the giant Ferris wheel. You've seen it in so much news coverage here in Southern California. It's still a really popular, uh, you know, uh, image that, that that they put up when they're giving the news, especially when the when it's night and that place lights up. And this was going to be a giant uh, party on the Santa Monica Pier with an adjacent patio, restaurant, drinks, food. Um, and Bill Bill was really going up big. Uh, I don't know if it was an anniversary. I do know that Garib Seamus of Wizard and I were friendly, and he had asked if he could come down from San Diego, uh, drive home with me on Sunday, stay the night at my home, and then if he could go up with me on, on, uh, on Monday, because the party was always the Monday night after the show. So you would migrate down or migrate up from San Diego to the Los Angeles area, and then everybody, because so many people were either visiting friends or doing deals, trying to get movies and television and cartoons, video games set up with all the different Southern California operations that we offer here in the glorious Southland, uh, that so many of the people who were from the East Coast, the Midwest, they would stay over a few days. So Bill would take advantage of that and throw this giant party. Now, I, I, I had gone to prior than, to that in the, uh, in the very, very late 80s, in the early 90s. Mark Silvestri would also have a party at his house, but he had no longer been throwing those. And there are also competing parties. On any given night, maybe on a Monday night after San Diego in Los Angeles, just due to all the people who are in town, um, multiple parties are being thrown. I, I, in the Wolverine episode where I discuss how Frank Miller and Chris Claremont came together to create that epic body of work that that was eventually a, a fantastic Hugh Jackman film, in that uh, in, in that podcast, I, I read to you from the, from the foreword that Chris Claremont said that, again, the drive up from San Diego to Los Angeles between himself and, and, and Frank Miller is what created the miniseries. Chris was like, I'm going to do this now. I've got you trapped in the car. I'm going to, I'm going to try and pin you down and get this miniseries going. But they were both going up to L.A. after San Diego, possibly to a party, to meetings, whatever. That's, that's just, again, you know, if you're listening to this from Nova Scotia, if you're li listening to this in the tundra, I am letting you know how things were rolling in the 90s in Southern California after the Comic-Con. Well, you always got a great bunch of guests, comic book people that you knew, that you loved, that you admired. Um, one year there was Dave Stevens of uh, Rocketeer fame, um, uh, Dave Gibbons, Frank Miller. I mean, these were really exciting times and you would get to just, you know, grab a drink Huddle, huddle around them at a uh, at a table and and talk comics and and tell them how much you loved what they were doing and talk shop and and so this was like every other uh, of of these events except it was the biggest one I had been to it was the biggest it was the first of the peer shows the peer uh, on on the Santa Monica Pier party that uh, that 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 Bill had thrown great attendance as you, you as you can imagine and I arrive with Garib Seamus and we all begin to mingle and there is Scott. Lubdell, the, 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 the infamous Scott Lubdell, he of the X-Men titles, uh, he would later jump on board and, and do Heroes Reborn when we did that. But Scott was as competitive as they come, as competitor as they came as a writer. You know, I was used to competitive um, artists, but the, the guys who wrote, I never really felt their competitive vibes. I knew they were competitive. A guy like Peter David was absolutely competitive and, and tried to get whatever advantage he could. But but Scott understood that recruiting artists and uh, and he, he understood what went into um, staying competitive and keeping the X-Men family on top. And he was the writer of the um, adjectiveless X-Men, the one that Jim had written or, or and Uncanny. No, no, Scott was doing Uncanny X-Men. And uh, but he was at, at any given time plotting um you know, uh, 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 plotting one, completely writing the other, doing plot and script for the other. He also had Generation X that had launched a huge fanfare. Scott was a pillar. One of the most, I think after Jim and myself left, he became the most important guy in the X office. He had the ear of Bob Harris. He had a very successful um, uh, voice that people had responded to. And again, he, he knew how to be as competitive as he possibly could, which also meant giving, giving stories that resonated with you. And that made you want to come back month in, month out after I think a little bit of a disappointing time when somebody like a Jim Lee and a Wolf's Portacio abandoned ship. And, uh, you know, he was aided and abetted uh, by the Kubert brothers and then later Joe Madiera, who were both stepping up to the plate to do some of the best work they'd ever done. Those comics were great. I enjoyed them as a fan during that time. I really liked uh, what Scott was doing with the books. 
So those books were always in the top three, top five. And in Image Comics had been very competitive at the top of the charts. That's one you got to understand. We didn't produce anywhere near the amount of books. Uh, even if we produced 40 books a month, Marvel was producing 80 books a month or 70. I mean, you were never going to catch them in terms of sheer volume. They just, again, we've talked about it here on the podcast so many times. They have so many uh, families of, of comics, you know, and the Spider-Man family was at full tilt. The X-Men family was at full tilt. I mean, I'm talking four or five books each. Four dedicated Spider-Man books, maybe five to six X-Men books, maybe more. I mean, I'm, I, there's two two X-Men, Gen X, X-Factor, X-Force, Wolverine. Oh, yeah, the miniseries. So, so, so the the X-Men family alone was probably doing eight to ten. Let me let me let me revise that to eight to ten books, and that's if they weren't going bi-weekly, right? And uh, so then you got your your Spider-Man books plus your Spider-Man specials, and if there's annuals, if every book gets an annual, which is a one you know a summer event book. That, that, that they'd been doing since I was a kid, if every book is getting one of those annuals, well, then then you are getting eight Spider-Mans in, in one month, but on average four, and, and on average eight X-Men, and then you've got, you know, your Fantastic Four, and they had Fantastic Force, then you had Captain America, you had the Avengers, you had your fantasy books, you had Silver Surfer, you had your Cosmic Line, you had Adam Warlock, you had all the Infinity, uh, Infinity Gems. They created a horror line, the Sons of, you know, uh, uh, Blade, uh, Ghost Rider, um, I, I'm, I'm forgetting what they were called, but they all teamed up in one book. I mean, so Marvel had a huge line of comic books, but Image Comics was able to hang with them. We were able to place our books in the top spots month in, month out, and I have learned over 30 years how important those top spots were. I, it, it's like one of those things where you don't really want to pay att pay attention to it, but then you're told how important it is by everybody else. So then you realize, well, I've I've got to pay attention to this. And again, no no less than a Joe Casada, he of former editor in chief, told me about a decade ago. She, you know, Rob, I've never had a number one comic book, and and I was like, wow. And I immediately did the kind of the data backwards, and I was like, huh, he 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 hadn't, you know, and 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 being number one, which all the image guys had enjoyed on on, on multiple occasions was a giant feather in your cap. But nobody rocked the number one slot more than the X-Men comics, okay? But maybe maybe the X-Men comics were, were being taken for granted. And the reason I bring this up is because this is a very aggressive, a very aggressive uh, plan of attack that Marvel was planning. And Scott Lobdell shares this to me. Maybe he had too many drinks, but he pulled me aside at the Golden Apple Party, wanders up to me, and, and Scott had, would, would, would get a gleam in his eye. He'd get like a, he, you know, who knows what what he was thinking, but he approached me at exactly the right time. The sun had fallen. It was night when we got there. It was, you know, a little before dusk. Now it's, you know, nighttime at, at the Golden Apple Party. Everyone's having a rousing good time. Hundreds of people are there on 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 the on on the uh, pier, you know, celebrating comics, reliving their memories of the of the most recent, uh, you know, San Diego Comic Con. That would be our our third. Comic-Con is Image Comics, 92, 93, now 94. And uh, Scott says, uh, we're going to get you guys. Literally walks up, kind of glass in hand, cocks his head back, glint in his eye and goes, you know, we're, uh, no, it was, we're coming after you guys. We're coming after you guys. I go, what are you coming after us? You're, you're the X-Books. You, you guys live at the top. I mean, you know, we're just, we're just, you know, we're always swimming upstream. We're the image guys. You know, everyone's always stacked the deck against us, but for, for the most part, the fans are always there for us. But he goes, no, 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 we, we got something special. We got something big. I can't, I can't tell you. I can't tell you. We got something big. We got something big. It's, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to put you guys on your heels. And I was like, man, this is really cocky. Like, Scott is really feeling it. And I'm sitting there, and I'm a competitive guy, and now he's got my interest. 100% has my interest. I have been back doing what I believed for the longest time to be the best work of my career. I still believe it's up there with the best work of my career. But when I came back to Youngblood, uh, Team Youngblood 9, Youngblood 6, Youngblood 7, Youngblood 8, they have been collected once uh, in, a, in a great uh, uh, trade paperback called Baptism of Fire. I highly recommend it. Uh, with the current situation with Youngblood and the rights that are all tied up, uh, there will not be a reprinting of that anytime soon. I mean, the, the master files, all that stuff... That, that we had access to that and gave you the very best trade paperback that we could back then. It's collected. It's great. It's some of my, my favorite work I'd ever done. The reason I'm telling you this is I was right in the middle of wrapping up that storyline. So I, I had been, that was my spring and summer 
um, book, and I kind of knew what everybody else was doing at Image Comics. I, I, I was very familiar with what Jim and Todd and all the studios were doing. We were very, you know, we would hand in our solicitations, share the solicitations. We knew, especially in advance of the world knowing, I would know if Todd was doing something special with Spawn. But Scott is very, very cocky in, in how he is rolling about what they're going to do. Now, what I would go on to find out is um, because loose lips sink all the ships, right? And uh, all Scott had to do was kind of tee me off and tell me, look, man, this is this is uh, this is something that's going to really, you know, knock you on your keister, and and and, and uh, you know, we're we're coming for you guys. Those those are you know, those are uh, those are fighting words, right? And and so so we figured, well, what can we do to uh, to counter that? So you know, I figured I better share this with with my friends because I was made, you know, I was made aware that what Scott was talking about. What he was boasting about was going to be a wide line relaunch, a wide line relaunch of the X-Men. Every X-Men book was going to restart at number one. And you go, how's that going to work? You know, we just restarted them at number one. That's why they all, you know, sold as well as they did. And, and it capitalized on the heat that Jim and I had. And, 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 and that's why we had been so successful was we had, they hadn't been relaunched prior, but now they're saying, you know, they're saying that, uh, that, you know, that 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 this that they're going to relaunch these books. This is what my intel is telling me, and my follow up as I make some calls and I and I poke around, and I am told, oh, what he's talking about is they're relaunching all the X Men books. Well, we didn't exactly know when and where they were going to do this, but it was uh, and, and 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 I believe right shortly after that it got pushed off. It got pushed off until um, it got pushed off until uh, January of '95, if memory serves correctly. But. Uh, my, my, my entire, um, you know, impetus in running back and talking to my image brothers was I'm taking this Scott Lobdell thing. He doesn't say what he says to me unless he is feeling it. He is feeling it that, that, that this is going to be something that resets the pecking order. He, they're, they're coming for us. Okay. So, so, you know, you kind of go, wow, I, 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 I need to know, I need to know, you know, what's going on there. What does that mean? What exactly? Does that mean? And so, uh, so I huddle with my buddies and uh, at Image Comics at our next uh, at our at our next Image Comics meeting, which was coming up just, a, just about a week from from that time. And in that time, from Scott Libdell saying we got something big, we're coming for you guys. You know, um, the, 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 he literally he had a gleam in his eye, like we got a battle plan, we're doing something special. And so I had ascertained that the X-Books were going to be relaunched. And that could be a big, giant, uh, a giant event that was going to draw not only a lot of eyeballs, but I'm sure it's going to draw a lot of talent. And and back in that day, it's 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 going to make everything much more competitive for Marvel. We had been, Image Comics, I think, had been the most competitive uh, label for those two years prior. We got great people to come on over. Larry Stroman, who left Marvel to come to Image? Mike Grell, who left DC to come to Image. Sam Keith, who had left, you know, Marvel to come to Image. Um, you know, I mean, Dale Keown, who had left Marvel to come to Image. Travis Charest, Stephen Platt. We had gotten them from Marvel and DC to come to Image. We were really the magnet uh, pulling the talent in our direction. So it was, you know, to great advantage. And 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 look, they were not. I will tell you that there was a couple times that when we were securing talent away from Marvel in competitive situations, um, I got a call from my former editor and it was the only time he was very cross with me and he was yelling at me, how could I take this guy? And really what, what he was saying is, we've never had a situation where someone can compete with us in regards to somebody getting an X title and then walking away from it in order to jump, you know, to go somewhere else. That just didn't happen in the business. For so long, the X-Men books were the Shangri-La. They were the, you know, paradise. That was your final destination. That's where everything good would happen. All your royalty dreams would come true and you would be at the top of the charts. Image changed, changed some of that. Even if we weren't, again, at the top, you got to realize the image deal is you're keeping all of it. I can, as I said to my father when he was concerned, you know, he saw that his son was getting checks, you know, in, in the high 
you know, 650,000, you know, million dollar checks from Marvel. And what are you doing? This is a great deal, son. What are you doing? I said, no, 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 dad, you don't understand. That's based on me getting like a nickel a copy, okay? So, but if I do 100,000 on my own, I keep 100,000. If I do 200,000 and I get a dollar a book, I'm keeping it. So you could go away and not be in the top 10 and do a be have a better situation for yourself as an artist in terms of your freedoms and your financial financial um, your financial freedom and your artistic freedom. They went hand in, in hand. So you didn't have to have a top 10 image book you know, a top 10 comic book to be um, doing far and away better than than the X-Men books at the time. But this this definitely was meant to reset the clock, assert a dominance. And so, look, there was no stopping it. All we could do was, was, was compete with it, right? You know, slow the roll, slow the tide. Well, I, uh, I recognizing what a significant shift this was going to be, and you guys, obviously, Age of Apocalypse was huge. What I found out is that, yes, the resets are coming, but they're not going to be traditional resets. They are going to be relaunches of, of this new um, futuristic world upon which, you know, um, Apocalypse has conquered and there's all different alliances and new designs. Everything that is catnip to us as comic book fans, catnip to me as an X-Men fan. I knew right there and then, holy crap, I can't miss out on this thing. Well, we were under the impression that it was coming uh, during the fall of of uh, the fall months of 1994, we were, we were under the impression that it was coming together much quicker. So I huddle with my image compadres, and we get together. And at the image meeting that was happening, because we we had a lot of meetings, you know, in late summer, post San Diego, we were all meeting again in Anaheim in the image offices adjacent to Extreme Studios. So in front of Mark and Todd and Eric and Jim and Jim Lee and Larry Martyr, our publisher, I made the uh, proposal that, you guys, here's the deal. And I told them about how, how Lobdell was rolling up to me and how Lobdell was really cocky and looking to put us on our heels, looking to, you know, put some distance between us and everything that they were doing and, and really get this tactical advantage. Um, Jim had made some calls. He had heard around. He had heard around, yes, that there was indeed a relaunching. And so now... Being in control of our own destiny, we don't have to just watch this. We can counteract this, right? We can maybe throw a wrench into the works. We can we can do something big that that draws eyeballs um, in in a different direction and and be um, as competitive with them as we anticipated. Um, now they did not launch until January February of 1995, but we had set ours in motion that we would um, you know that we would would get our books. Um, get our ducks in a row and make our big announcement and, and get our competitive flash out there. But what could we do? And we all kicked around the idea of, you know, how can we present this in the most, um, you know, what could we do that, that that's very, um, you know, competitive? And, you know, did we want to do, uh, did, did we want to do a, uh, you know, a, uh, an event book? Did we want to do a crossover event? And, and no, nobody was on board because so many of us were, as I said, doing our own kind of doing our own, uh, our, our own storylines, wrapping up whatever, you know, sagas or story arcs that we had in the works. So, so it wasn't as easy as just, um, you know, uh, deciding, well, let's just, they're doing this, let's do a crossover. And, and we, we, you know, obviously they had put tremendous planning into whatever, they were going to be doing okay so so we need to do something unique something something uh that would hopefully set us apart in regards to us being um uh, you know to our being different and 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 something that could be you know that could grab attention but not being a crossover again because nobody was really at that point on board with a crossover so we you know, danced around this idea of what if we all switched comics and wouldn't that be fun? And we would take people by surprise. And you no, know, we, we, the more we talked about it, the more we started to go, Hey, this is something that kind of is kind of interesting. This has some appeal to it, but you know, we, we, we were like, well, exactly how would it happen? How would we divvy up? But in the room, again, the crossover idea was ruled out. And instead, you know, 
we were um, looking at the fact that we would do something, um, maybe something on a, on a smaller scale that was not as grandiose, but something that could get the headlines. And again, we were kind of um, the flamboyant, showy, uh, you know, the, the image owners, the image founders, we had a certain amount of flash built in to what we did. Uh, our company was built on our particular brand of, you know, of success. Our, our company was was built on on us, you know, uh, uh, doing our thing and people following us. Because as I've said so many times, there was no Spawn comic prior to Todd doing it. There was no Youngblood. You were buying into um, Todd doing something that you liked and you were you were completely on board for you know what he was doing because it was Todd McFarlane doing it and Jim Lee doing it and Mark Sylvester doing it and Rob Liefeld doing it and and so we felt like well maybe we can use some of that to enable us to you know grab grab the attention of uh of 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 the fans who would be watching our every move and how could we make it interesting and how could we be competitive? And so what we came up with was, in fact, Image X Month. And uh, so Todd would draw one of our books and I would draw one of the books and that is exactly how we had decided to divvy up the cake. And here's the deal though. And, and it's weird. I'm going to... I... I, I the, the, the fact of the matter is what I'm about to tell you is uncomfortable, but it's true. It's, it's just how everything kind of broke down. The Once we had decided that was the course and everyone in the room said, I can go for that. I can go for somebody else doing my book. That would be interesting because also there's a challenge. You know, we've been doing our own titles, Spawn, Youngblood. We've all been heavily associated with this for, like I said, we had done three San Diegos. It's, we're going into our third year. Maybe this is a good way to you know, refresh. Maybe we get a little, you know, refreshed by all this. And so, so, you know, the, the knowing that the X-Men stuff was coming and we wanted to do something that was equally in our minds, equally, um, as, as ground shaking and could grab attention and splash and, and, and keep us relevant. Because once we had heard that they're restarting the X-Men books and they're going to re, you know, fill them with new designs and new characters, it was like, we have to respond. So we had set the course. We're going to switch up and do each other's books, but who's going to do whose books? This is the uncomfortable part. Who is going to do whose books? And when that, uh, you know, after an hour of kibitzing and going, well, maybe we can do this. No, not a crossover. No, what about this? No, not that. Okay, switching books. That puts like the, that 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 takes our kind of, uh, our, 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 our each of our personal, uh, you know, caches, the Todd McFarlane cachet, the Rob Liefeld cachet, the Jim Lee cachet. It's we're, we're able to now switch it up and maybe get some juice on on the mystery of of how would this look if he did this because you don't associate him with this and freshen things up. But now it's time to make uh, the picks. And we've all been that guy at the yard, at the schoolyard, at the basketball court for the pickup, for the flag football game, for the football scrimmage, for the basketball game. And everyone's going to pick sides. And everyone's gonna start off, and you know who the you know you get the two captains, and they start making the picks. And every single person listening to this has done this in some capacity, whether you are athletic or not. In grade school, it didn't matter. You wanted to hang out with your friends. If suddenly it turned to a football game or a basketball game, and there was enough people, everybody divvied up, and you choose sides. If I mean, I did this in in my my phys ed, my PE classes. So. I don't know if, if there's somebody who, who who didn't participate in this. Wow! I want to know that person. I want to know that person. I mean, I understand if maybe you had a doctor's note or a mom's note that you got to sit, you got to sit on the sidelines, but you at least experienced it. You watched it, and you know what it's like. Two captains, and then they start picking, and they do it now for the NBA All Star NBA All Star game the last couple of years, right? You know, Giannis picks, LeBron picks. And uh, Giannis skips over James Harden and James Harden loses his shit. And, and then they get into a war of words. I mean, this happens on a grandiose scale nowadays. But everybody's experienced this. And this is that moment right now in comics. And it uh, th there were no captains chosen. It's kind of like everybody had to call out their own assignment. Because if it was captains chosen, then it was just an easy one-two and one-two. Because you already got your... And then the captains would, uh, you know, presumably have done each other's books. But uh, 
you know, and you know, the guy picked last, it's uncomfortable. And yes, I have been the guy picked last. I played football in high school, two CIF championship teams. And at our uh, Big Bear, they, they had a passing league up in Big Bear every summer. And when we would all stay in one guy's uh, cabin up there uh, before the tournaments that day, and there was one time where we were picking teams, and I'm like, I know, just, just, just I know I'm going to be last. You know, I, I, I had grit, and I had determination, and I was a lineman, but in a passing league, that doesn't do you a whole lot. My athleticism was nowhere near that of my friends and my peers. So I've been that guy. I've been that guy picked last. So there was a hush. Well, who's going to do what books? And I'm going to tell you, this is the uncomfortable part. This is the part that if I if I didn't tell you this, I'd be lying. And, and, and there's been enough years and we all know that it was going on in the room. And it, I just I just wanted to deal with it as fast as I could. Really, nobody, none of the other guys um, respected Jim Valentino's artistic abilities on par with where they should have. I was a fan of Jim's. I thought Jim did great work and um, uh, would, would, would it would be a pleasure to swap with him, but the silence was, I don't want Jim drawing my book. I don't want Jim drawing Spawn. I don't want Jim drawing Cyberforce. I don't want Jim drawing, you know, it could have been shut down right there. Had Jim said, I'll do Savage Dragon and Eric said, no, you won't. Um, it could have gotten really ugly, really fast. And that was building. That tension was there. There was silence. There was quiet. Everyone was looking down when it said, well, well who's going to do what book? And you would have thought that it would have started with somebody going, oh, you know, you know, maybe maybe Mark going, I'll do Spawn. But that wasn't the first call out. There was an uncomfortableness. And I knew it. And it's because these guys were not a, as big a fan of Jim's art as they were of his writing. Everybody thought Jim was a great writer. But they didn't think his art was as up to snuff as theirs. And, you know, whatever. That's their opinion. Um, I've had guys, you know, uh, express their artistic uh, opinions to me often. You know, and, and, and most guys aren't going to agree. My favorites growing up weren't your favorites growing up. And, and and if you found kindred spirits, you flocked towards them. But at this moment in time, in the summer of 1994, this was an uncomfortable moment as no one spoke up. And I said, screw it. I'll just get this going. I'll do Shadowhawk. I yelled out, I'll do Shadowhawk. And Jim goes, I'll do Youngblood. And if you, from that proclamation... In the next 15 seconds, it was decided. Jim Lee said, I'll do Dragon. And Eric said, I'll do Wildcats. And Mark said, I'm doing Spawn. And I think Todd did not like his draw. He did not want to draw a team book. He should have spoken up faster because Todd has long gone, gone on about team books. But also, just in, in fairness, in this phase of Todd's career, he was having Greg Capullo do layouts for almost everything. So it was really, Todd was coming on board and applying his style in a finishing manner. Um, and you can tell, you can tell. I think they got blurred for a while and people actually thought the Todd McFarlane style and the Greg Capullo style were the same. But I'll, Todd's style is so distinct. When it is 100% Todd, you can tell. When it is compromised Todd, you can tell. Um, and, and compromise Todd can come in the form of compromise through Capullo, compromise through, you know, whomever he's chosen at the time. But um, when, when he did Cyberforce, I believe Greg supplied him some manner of layouts on that. That wasn't a solo job for him. I have layouts on mine, so I know what I'm talking about here. So, um, but, but, but my finishes, I, I made my finishes look exactly like, like, like Liefeld. I mean, people have said to me for years... I've talked to this with guys like Kirkman, like like that Capullo McFarlane meld because Todd really liked what Greg was doing. So he hewed closer to what Greg was doing stylistically because he favored, he thought Greg was better than he was and he would tell you. So he wanted to do more like Greg. So the Todd McFarlane of that period started um, reflecting more of Greg than Todd. It was weird because I like Greg. His X-Force is my second favorite run on X-Force. I thought he did just the most phenomenal job. And I've already told you I loved the Haunt comic that he did with Todd and, and Robert Kirkman, even though it wasn't moving the needles. And, and, and then Greg got on Batman, a giant, you know, global icon and, and found, you know, a, a new audience. So, you know, I, I, I love Greg's work, but, but I love Todd. Todd's work is so singular and so unique. So uh, Todd got Cyberforce. Um, Mark got Spawn, as we've said. Jim got Dragon. Uh, it really was the guys with the team books got the got the, got the solo books, 
and the guys with the solo books really got the team books. Very interesting, but in that room, it was decided in that uncomfortable moment where no one wanted to speak up because the other guys, frankly, did not want Jim drawing their book. Jim did a great issue of Youngblood. His his Youngblood is completely Hollywood um, focused on Bad Rock, and and uh, it, it's such a witty, brilliant, fun read on everything that we had actually experienced since becoming the Image Comics founders and getting Hollywood agents and movie deals and all that stuff. So it's, it, it, it was great. It turned out to be a great swap, but that is where and when and how the swaps were born in that manner. It was Rob calling out, Jim then calling out, Jim Lee calling out, Eric calling out, Mark like literally going, I'll do Spawn, kind of like surprise, like wow. And uh, I'm going to tell you, we then set about that we would tell the world that we are doing Image X Month. Everybody was game for it. Everybody was excited. Even Larry Martyr said, this is interesting. And so this is born of Scott Lobdell rolling up to me, telling me that they got something big coming, something that's going to really put us in our place, something that's going to, you know, separate from us. I took it. I took him in his word. He, he didn't say Age of Apocalypse. He didn't even say Restart. That came about 24 hours later, and about 72 hours later, I got the news about Age of Apocalypse. So it was exactly as he wanted. He wanted to, you know, tip us off to that they got the big guns pointed at us. And look, we ultimately did not dent that whatsoever. But what Image X month did, the impetus for it, which was to stay competitive, stay in the game, created this amazing well of uh, opportunity and creativity, at least for me, and I know for a couple other guys. And here's the deal. Let's just let's just get right to the point. The by far and away, if we were to take a vote, and and let me tell you something, I could not have been more like knocked to the back of the room. You guys know how how much. Uh, respect I have for the art, artistry, illustration, uh, talent of Mark Silvestri, but Spawn was a game changer. Everyone looked at Mark differently. Image X Month was maybe nobody got more from it than Mark Silvestri because Mark's Spawn is maybe the best Spawn that's been ever ever been depicted from the cover to the interiors. He teamed up with Brian Haberlin for, I believe, the first time a, a, on, a, on a pure color basis, he would he had been working with Joe Chiodo, Joe Chido, um, and and doing some great work over on Cyberforce. But this was next level. But Mark was drawing next level. His imagery it was like Bernie Wrightson, you know, meets John Buscema, meets Barry Smith, meets Todd. It was oh my gosh, I can look at that book all day long and never get tired. It is a magnificent piece of work. It is just stellar. So Image X Month gave you Mark Silvestri's spawn. So for that, you know, again, Image X Month is my fault. If you liked it, I'm your guy. If you hated it, I'm your guy. Okay? So, so, but as we all started to divvy up, um, you know, everybody, uh, I think everyone was excited. And we had to do covers and deliver the images. And I just didn't know what I was going to do with Shadowhawk because the one thing I'm not really crazy about drawing metal and reflections and, and, and I had seen that done as best as it could possibly be done ever with Bob Layton when he did Iron Man for almost a decade. And the way he rendered metal became the standard in the industry. It looked wet. It looked shiny. It was his manipulation of pen and ink and brush that was so um, brilliant. The way he would make it look like you could touch on a piece of, of, of newsprint what you believe to be the most shiny chrome surface. Well, Shadowhawk has got chrome armor and shines and I just was like, I'm not going to do this as well as it's been done or as it ever has been done with the great guys. So I formulated, I'm going to give this a shot. On the cover, I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to do this in the chiaroscuro style. Tough, tough, um, tough pronunciation. Look it up. Chiaroscuro is with a C-H, okay? It's 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 with a, a C-H, and I'm not going to, uh, uh, you know, uh, spell it here. Uh, I, I, I forgot to bring my encyclopedia with me, but um, that style is uh, is one that Frank Miller had employed, this kind of harsh contrast style. Um, Frank Miller had employed it, and he had uh, to, to massive success on Sin City, and so much so that Jim Lee had deployed it on Deadpool. Uh, excuse me, Death, <laughs> on Deathblow, on his Deathblow series that he did. Jim Lee went all in depicting Deathblow in the exact same style that Frank Miller had been giving us Sin City for about maybe a year 
Like, he jumped on that faster than anybody. Scott McDaniel would later jump on the same. And uh, Shiraskuro is C-H-I-A-R-U-S-C-U-R-O. It's very hard to pronounce. Kiraskuro, okay? I learned it in art class. So there you go. But it's a high contrast. Uh, really, everything is shaped by shadows. And then whatever you do coming out of that initial approach, you can, you know, make your own. You can um, tailor to your own stylistic whims. But I decided to try Shadowhawk in that style. You can just say, Rob, it's the Frank Miller Sin City style. And you'd be correct. That is 100% correct. And I got a funny story about that in a minute. But um, because of the deadlines and because of um, everything that was being packed in my life at the time, I uh, had a guy who I thought would do a great job and uh, in giving me layouts. Carl Allstetter, a uh, super talented guy, had uh, been doing Bloodstrike with me. And I figured, I'm going to put Bloodstrike in Shadowhawk and have them team up. So this has a little bit of an extreme flavor beyond just me drawing it. But since Carl does the Bloodstrike comic for me, I'm going to ask him if he could do the layouts for me. So Carl sets out and gives me thumbnail layouts that are fantastic. But this is after I do the cover. And the cover, which is such a weird shot, but I, it just came to me like, I'm going to have Shadowhawk on the wall, almost like Spider-Man, but nice big shot of his juicy butt cheeks and his head looking up to you. And he's very menacing. And it, it just worked out. It's one of those shots that probably shouldn't have worked, but ended, out, um, ended up working really great. Just in black and white, I was thrilled. I thought, wow, this can't get any better, except it can. I gave it to my colorist, Kiko Taganashi, who was at the time considered one of the very best guys. He was all the optics, pride and joy. I made him an offer he couldn't refuse. He left Northern California and came and worked for one solid year dedicated to coloring my work and Extreme's work and kind of being a guy who could tutor everyone. The guy was simply brilliant. He was awesome. He was amazing. And uh, long story short, he gave me a colored version of that Shadowhawk cover. And I, my mind was absolutely blown away at how beautiful it looked. He was really taking that approach in the color that I was taking on the line art, the, the contrast and the renderings and, and putting his extra, extra touch on it. So I said, wow, we got a winner here. This is really going to be great. What I didn't expect doing that style was how fast I could do it. Um, it is the only time I have ever done uh, comic book pages on the kitchen table um, because so many of the double page spreads uh, taped together with these giant poster images. And I needed that slot and none of the art tables that I had in my studio were as big and extreme. It, it, just, it, would, it was just too cumbersome and I didn't want to spill the ink on the carpet and stain it. So at my house on the kitchen counter, on the kitchen floor, not the kitchen counter, I put those pages together, put them down. Again, also I am planning on one of the many things that's going on is I've gotten engaged, uh, marital uh, stuff is, 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 is really starting to come into focus for me. Um, I am now, you know, fully, my, my relationship with my wife is, 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 is even more, um, consuming in the best possible way. Um, I, I deserved all that happiness. I was not going to pass up my time with my wife on the, on the, uh, at the same time running the company and at the same time doing my Youngblood book, which I was going to wrap up as soon as I finished the Shadowhawk. Cause it, again, this was kind of an addendum and, uh, and, and the Youngblood issue was going to go and wedge right in between the storyline that I was doing, the one that Jim did. So, so it was a bit of a sea change and to get, you know, to, to establish the look and do this harsh contrast, Sin, Sin City, Frank Miller style. And now here's the big drop for the guys who don't under, who don't know that the, the Sin City style was something that a comic book great prior to Frank Miller had put to great, great effect. And that man's name is Jim Steranko. And you're like, what? Now, Jim Steranko is a name I don't say enough on this, but he is a seminal comic book talent that made his name in Marvel in the late 60s on Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. and in, in a five, six-issue run on um, on Captain America that that people hold as, as the best of an age, as the best of an age. Um, the... the Work that he left comic books to go do a lot of movie stuff. He did all the main key art frames for the original Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, but the thing is that when Frank came around to doing um, the the Sin City style, it had already been done in the mid seventies by Frank by by by, by uh, Jim Steranko, 
who again, those Frank Miller, those, those Nick Fury comics and those Captain America comics, they've been collected in giant art editions. They are celebrated. It's in the 60s. It's before my time. I was aware of them because they were being reprinted when I was a kid, but I didn't experience Jim Steranko firsthand, but I know full well of the acclaim and 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 the the, the way that people, he, he kind of come in as kind of a Kirby clone and immediately with his design sense and his figure work and his illustrative style pulled away very quickly to become his own person. But he did a book called Red Tide based on a T Raymond Chandler pulp novel. And it is drawn exactly in um, the same precocious uh, style that Frank Miller would utilize. So while Frank was doing it, I'm sure Jim Steranko was like, hey, dude, you took my graphic novel style. And if you go and you Google Jim Steranko, um, Red Tide, you will see on the nose, identical, uh, Jim Steranko was doing this prior to Frank Miller. But Frank Miller most certainly, absolutely, 100% popularized it. Just like Michael Golden and Art Adams created the thick spaghetti webbing that Spider-Man swings on, but Todd popularized it because he used it all the time, every panel, not just in specials, or guest appearances, but it was, you know, Michael Golden, Art Adams established that thick rope, twisty, spaghetti-style webbing in every way that they depicted Spider-Man prior to Todd doing it. But Todd wisely said, I can do this, I can do this faster, and I can give this to you on a basis, on a monthly basis, and you will now associate this with me. So while Steranko was first and possibly did it better than even Miller, Frank popularized it because it became his go-to style for an entire decade. He used that Sin City style for 10-plus years. So... I am now doing that on Shadowhawk. And what I didn't realize is with a brush, because none of it's with Quill, using multiple brushes to lay down those lines, because that's the way you get the best flow in that style, was so fast. And I was doing two to three pages a day. And in no time, the Shadowhawk book was finished. And I am telling you to this day, some of those pages in those books, still I stare at. I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know what I was on. I don't know how I pulled that off. Because you have to switch your mind over to, you know, again, the high contrast. Where's the light source? Where's the shadows on each and every shot and each and every panel? And then, you know, within that, you get to implement whatever style that you are going to try to implement. And I did. I'm really proud of that Shadowhawk work. It's a singular work. I didn't utilize that ever again. It really was for one job only. And it was to um, set me apart in regards to trying to do shiny armor. Um, Kiko did that with his hues and, and renderings on the computer in the computer coloring stage. But I just kept it to that high contrast style in order to um, bypass trying to do shiny armor, which I was never going to do as good as the guys who do the best shiny armor. So um, I took the challenge. I made my own twists. I did a job that I'm extremely proud of. Still love seeing those Shadowhawks. Love that cover. Love the interior, especially the, um, some of the splash pages and the actual first page splash page. But... Um, Blood Strikes in it, the team's in it. It's a real fun book. I had a great experience. I thought Jim did a great experience with mine. Now, some of them didn't end as well as the Mark Sylvester Spawn, which again is on its own. Maybe I, I'm going to call it right now. It is the single finest issue of Spawn ever illustrated, period. End of story, full stop. It And, and, and Mark awakened on that. Mark would then go to a supernatural place, whether it was Witchblade or Darkness, and he didn't look, turn back for a decade. Mark then, I think Mark was like, wow, this is different, not doing team books. Image X awakened something in all of us. Mark, by stepping into Spawn and doing spooky, supernatural, something he had never done before, he hadn't done Tomb of Dracula, he hadn't done Doctor Strange, the dude had done King Conan, X-Men, and then Cyber Force and Wolverine. I mean, always kind of on the same path. And you could tell that Spawn tickled something in him. And Witchblade comes as a result of Spawn. Supernatural, horror, mystical. Away go the tech weapons, the X-Men style. And some of the best work Mark ever did is The Darkness with Garth Ennis, which is a, a, a companion book at the time to Witchblade, which was phenomenal and represents, again, some of, if not the best, the best Mark Silvestri work ever, and it was born on that Spawn one-shot. If he doesn't do that, I'm not sure any of that follows. I was there. I knew what Mark was doing. I knew what he was pursuing. The entire shift of his company changed. Uh, Witchblade and, 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 and Darkness, and then more mystical, um, supernatural comics. And Top Cow became like the supernatural label once Mark did Spawn. And he found a new niche, maybe the best niche of his entire career, but I encourage you to get that Spawn issue that Mark did. It is fantastic. It is, it is, it is a wonderful, uh, amazing, beautiful, 
the, the illustrations alone are just uh, to die for. It is it is just, I, I cannot tell you enough how amazing and beautiful this job is. Todd's um, Cyber Force is interesting. It's fun to see Todd back doing comic uh, team books. Uh, like myself, he utilized layouts, but he brought his McFarlane brand of style via the inking and... Um, and, and it, it turned out to be a really um, uh, uh, fun, I, I like looking at it because there are certain tenets of Todd's work that are very specific to his approach to any given page. The big giant three-quarter headshot, um, shadows, uh, tufts of hair that whip off, um, <clears throat> you know, um, but he, he, uh, he, he really, he, it, it's, it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting, you know, um, uh, uh, engagement, but, but. Mark Silvestri's Spawn is beautiful. I'm reading Augie DeBleck, Pipeline Comics, April 2017, where he talks about this and he says, Mark Silvestri's art on Spawn is very pretty. He does interesting things with the ink work specifically. He makes a gradient looking thing in the background um, uh, with pure... He, may, he can make a gradient looking thing in the background with pure ink lines alone. His He's great with indicating light sources by applying dramatic shadows on sides of faces or in the creases of the cape or deep in the background with the details on the city's building. Um, literally, Mark was doing kind of a Todd approach except with Mark's next level best ever talent. And I've, I've told you guys, um, Mark is the single best comic book artist. Um, maybe of any age, I've put, I'd put him in top three. His He has no weaknesses. His figure work, his faces, his backgrounds, he is he has no weaknesses. He is the complete package, as if I've never seen it, but it's all completely, completely so beautiful and commercial. His people are people that you want to stare at because of their, they're so beautiful and handsome, the cheekbones, the lips, the nose. Um, Mark Mark is just next level, and there's nothing I've ever seen him. You know, he can do Red Sonia battling a dragon, and you go, oh, that, that that's how Red Sonia should have looked all along. Wolverine, that's how Wolverine should have looked all along. Superman, oh my gosh, why doesn't Superman look like this all the time? Batman, holy crap. Ba I mean, for the year, for years, Mark did one drawing of Batman. It's a statue now. His one drawing is a statue. That's how good the guy is. So he drew Spawn. Holy crap. Amazing. It's gorgeous. It is, it is, it is, uh, you know, the best of us just rocked the house. Now, the, the, the marriage that didn't quite work out as well was uh, Jim and Eric. They didn't really enjoy doing each other's books. I think I think Jim had layouts or, or fin did breakdowns on on, uh, on Savage Dragon and Richard Bennett, I believe, did the finishes. It's a fine package. It's just, it, it's aesthetically the furthest away from what Eric gives you. Eric is all Gil Kane and Jack Kirby, no matter what pounding energy. Jim slows it down, um, really crams in the detail. Um, it, 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 it maybe is a little too Where's Waldo in terms of how it's executed. Um, Eric did not enjoy doing Wildcats. You can tell he tried to apply his um, Kirby-esque approach to make it uh, bearable for him. But I know for a fact that those two guys did not enjoy doing their assignments as well. And in fact, and here's the kicker, you know, the, the, the issue that Jim does of, of Savage Dragon, um, Eric redrew it and renumbered it, okay? I mean, you guys, it doesn't get weirder than this because Eric prided himself on doing every issue. So when it was over, when it was all said and done, Eric Larson did a brand new edition of 13, kind of um, deregulating Jim's issue, kind of making his issue like this offshoot 13 in a different world. Eric Larson literally was like, eh, you know, mine was Shadowhawk Zero. So it, 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 it wasn't in continuity. It was kind of out. Mark's is whatever Mark's is that issue. I want to say 26. I'm probably off a little. Maybe it's higher. Um, but I'm telling you right now, the weird thing is that Eric Larson essentially erased the Savage Dragon issue by doing his own version of 13. So what was at the time, Savage Dragon 13 did not last because in short order, Eric said, nah, I'm going to make this issue, issue 13, and carry on and fit it. Now, now he didn't do that in real time. He did that retroactively months later. So, very interesting experiments. Image X month. Here's the deal. When we announced it, there was excitement from fans, but, but the adjustment came with the retailers who said, you cannot expect us to order these books and have them show up the day they arrive without telling us who did what. And they basically said, like, we want to order the most of whatever Todd does. 
and uh, not knowing that, you know, while I think Cyberforce was well-received, it was Mark's issue of Spawn that became the one everybody wanted, which fits because Spawn was already a top seller, but Mark gave the effort that everybody was so excited about. But they definitely did not want to order these blind as we were asking them to, and we had no choice but to acquiesce, and we eventually announced in advance who you were getting, doing everything, and it made every, it, it took some of the excitement away, some of the surprise, some of the shock, but ultimately we understood where the retailers were coming from. They had every every right to say, hey, you know, maybe, maybe there was a retailer who hated Rob Liefeld and wanted to make sure he didn't get stuck with a whole bunch of Rob Liefelds. So, you know, I'll put myself right there, square into the equation, and a guy's like, the hell if I am going to be sitting on X amount of Rob Liefeld, uh, 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 you know, cyber forces. You know, whatever the reason, they pressed hard through Diamond as one voice and said, you, the publisher, need to be responsible to us. I would have loved to have been, the whole idea was that not knowing was going to set the scramble off, and there were going to be obviously a few gems in there. And, 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 you know, maybe we, maybe had we dedicated to making them blind bags and, and you didn't know, who knows, but we acquiesced in the appropriate manner, given that we were a young publisher and we had gotten so much favor out of them and they'd done so many things right by us. Image X month ended up being a real jolt. It awakened all of us. It, you got a career best effort at the time from Mark Silvestri. You got experimentation from myself. You got some fun stories like, my Youngblood that Valentino did, I think it's Youngblood 9, is a great standalone one-shot issue. Um, it energized us. It 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 um, really uh, I think I think uh, gave us a jolt that we were being hunted on a regular basis. So maybe once this was over, step up the level of your work. Um, you know, step up our level across the board. It was great. I appreciate that Scott Lobdell rolled to me in the way that he did. Um, the uh, on that pier at that Golden Apple party in 1994. We did not, we knew we would not blunt an entire line of X-Men books. But what we did is we did something fun. We did something experimental. We grabbed a lot of headlines. We got a lot of um, attention for what we were doing. And it gave us a new sense of, you've heard me say this many times, camaraderie as we all pushed together to do something in unison that would excite the fan base and be something completely out of left field. And I don't think anybody can tell you that Image X Month was not completely out of left field. It is an experiment that I, to this day um, I, I enjoy looking back on. And again, I am 100% responsible for Image X Month. It is it, if, if Scott Lobdell and I do not have, recall, have our talk, if I do not alarm the other um, Image owners then none of this comes into play. We don't have that meeting. We don't kibitz. We don't set this in motion. So I hope you dug it. Now, the one thing I'm going to tell you is while I'm doing Shadowhawk, um, Frank Miller had done an interview where he kind of took a shot at, uh, at at Jim Lee and people doing his style, like what Jim was doing with Deathblow. And Jim was on the phone with me. I, I, I had just completed Shadowhawk. I think it was going out, but the, but the, the, the cover image with me doing that style was out there. And Jim giggled. He goes, yeah, he tried to pin it on me. He tried to pin Frank's comments about being mad at people doing him. My book wasn't out yet. This interview that Frank gave was probably two months prior. Again, as we've covered here, sometimes the interviews that you give sit and don't see print for two to three months. So let's say at the least it's two months. Let's give it the lowest possible turnaround. Frank had given this interview. Deathblow had been around for two years. And Jim's like, yeah, ha, ha, His little Jim Lee giggle. Ha, 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 Yeah, it was you. You you, you put him over the edge. The minute you decided to do the style, you, you put him over the edge. Ha, ha, You're the one that that, 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 that ticked off Frank. And, and, and what Jim didn't know, because he hadn't been to the comic store that day, is I had the brand new Sin City in my hands. The new Sin City, a dame to kill for. And it was really clear to me that Frank was queuing up his interview with the book that was going to hit at the same time. Sin City, A Dame to Kill For, issue two, page four, is a splash page. Sin City, A Dame to Kill For, issue two, page four. Um, Dwight, who is the new protagonist in this new Sin City adventure, this the, the, the first standalone comic, you know, the first Sin City was serialized in Dark Horse Comics Presents. Now Sin City's got its own series, Dwight is entering the bar. We see now where it falls in the timeline because we're seeing Marv, Marv who, who died in Sin City, the first serial. He's alive because now we see, oh, this tale is in the past. Who is Marv stepping on? He is stepping on the throat of a struggling, gagging, spitting up blood and blood all around him, death blow. It is completely clear to anyone. He's got the do-rag. He's got the eye 
tattoos. He's got the exact bullets, vest, military military grade gear. And Marv is standing on a choking, gagging death blow with a bottle in his hand, clenching his fist. This is someone he has just put down. You don't need me to tell that. You look at this story. This will be in my news and notes. And Dwight says, how's it going, Marv? And Marv says, you know, same old, same old. And uh, I said, Jim, are, are you kidding me? You're saying that's me? You're saying Frank is coming out against people who, who do that style? And Tim Sale got a little of that brush back to um, Frank would go after him later on. Frank was, you know, look, he understood. He popularized that style. He was very protective of it, but he had taken some shots. And here's Jim trying to say that it was a result of my doing Shadowhawk and my dipping myself in the Frank Miller pool. And I'm like, are, are, do you not have the, the new Sin City? And Jim goes, no, what? I go, so, so you don't have the new Sin City? No. I go, Jim, Marv is kicking Deathblow's ass, standing over him menacingly. Um, There is blood sp splatter coming out of Deathblow's head, and he is spitting out like blood splatter and marv is menacingly standing over them and jim goes uh uh what uh, i i didn't know about this uh, I'll, I'll, I'll check that out um maybe maybe somebody in the in the studio has it you know i'll talk to you later click funny story i got a ton of them so yeah that was rich that was rich to be in that place at that time as frank gives an interview jim then immediately wants to deflect and say, well, it's because of you. You're doing Shadowhawk, and so you jumped into the boat. And, and it, the implication was like, as long as I was doing it, it was fine. Me and me and Frank are down. Well, not then. Not then you weren't. Marv has defeated and humiliated Deathblow on this page as, as it accompanies whatever Amazing Heroes Wizard Magazine interview that came out. And so Jim immediately scurried off because he was not familiar because I had been to the comic store that day. It was obviously a Wednesday. It was a Wednesday evening that we were talking. It was in my office at Extreme Studios after hours, just chatting away as we always do. And, uh, you know, so that was a funny, funny anecdote to everything that I have shared with you about Image X Month. Ultimately, Image X Month was a fantastic experience for all of us. We got the very best issue of um, Spawn ever and the very best Mark Silvestri drawn anything ever as a result. So for that, let's throw a parade. Let's clap retroactively. Um, hey, Image X Month, super fun retailers. They ended up moving a good amount of them. The, the, it was a complete success. We, we did exactly what we set out to do. It energized us. Age of Apocalypse, as you know, went on to be the biggest event of 1995. Um, when they launched it, it was amazing, astounding. Uh, it really has, has uh, it was a benchmark in comic books and re-energized the X-Books. So Scott Lobdell telling me how those books were going to be re-energized, absolutely re-energized us. We got up for the challenge. We put our best foot forward for one month. And you guys, as always, were the benefactors, in my opinion, hopefully, if you like these. Again, if you didn't, I'm right here. So, guys, thank you for joining me. What a great time. Thanks for hanging out with me. It is the holiday season. I want you, my dearest, deepest wish for you is that you have a great holiday season. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to me, for participating in this podcast, which literally started out as therapeutic sessions. I am not going to cry. You're crying. This podcast literally saved my life. Thank you for listening. Thank you for participating with me. You guys keep yourself safe. Be safe in your travels. Be safe with your family. Um, you know, take care of yourselves and we will talk again real soon. 